With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode 95 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Hope you're doing well. It's been 14 days since you've heard my dulcet tones. I bet you're glad of that, aren't you? My name's Sam Davis. But then over the past two weeks, there's there's not really been much going on, has there? Um, we had plenty of news and there was a flurry of activity which culminated in Aaron Ramsdale, Simon Francis and Andrew Sermon leaving the club on the same weekend. But... That's really where it ended. We've had a few tidbits in the meantime and, of course, our fixtures have been announced, which is good. I mean, Blackburn Rovers, first game of the season at home, excellent. Home on Boxing Day, home for the last game of the season as well. But when we're going to be let in, no one really knows. So we've been off air for 14 days or so. We've done a little bit on YouTube in the meantime, including Morgan, one of the YouTube contributors. We've put his interview with Cherry's defender Jack Simpson online. So I do advise you check that out. And also a big congratulations as well to Chris Root. Chris Root, longtime podcast listener and YouTube subscriber. Of course, we did our Forest Home Hospice fundraiser. We ended up raising over £2,200 for them. We were so chuffed as a podcast we've not done anything like this before so we were really unsure how much we could raise but to raise that much absolutely fantastic so he wins a round of golf with harry redknapp the 50 pound voucher for the rope and anchor and uh, afc bournemouth superstore voucher and of course the bottle opener yeah the bottle opener coaster from back of the net 
Now, this is episode 95. Uh, we're closing in on our century, but we've actually done more than 100 episodes already because back in the day we covered the Euros and Sean Barker had the unique idea of doing a few episodes entitled 0.5. No idea why that happened. Alas, we're there already. And back of the net is going to be there throughout next season too. Many people did ask us, actually, what are we going to do next season? Are we going to scale it down? Well, to be honest, I'm feeling like we're probably needed more than ever before because although local media does AFC Bournemouth proud with regards to the way they cover it, the Bournemouth Echo, Radio Solent, and many more besides, nationally, we won't have that much exposure, will we? I know Sky Sports have announced that the Norwich fixture is going to be moved to Friday night, so that's going to be live and we're going to get national prominence there, but TalkSport aren't going to be worried about us, us, are they? Adrian Durham doesn't need to go on a five-minute rant anymore. But back of the net, I think, needs to be there. So we're going to be carry on doing our stuff on the YouTube channel with vlogs, matchday experiences, podcasts, and a hell of a lot more besides. If you haven't subscribed to the pod, make sure you do. And on the YouTube channel as well, just hit subscribe. We appreciate everyone's support and everyone recently that supported us by buying us a coffee as well, including Chris, Kerry, James, and many others. If you want to do the same, it's afcbpodcast.com slash coffee. Right, what's on the agenda today then? Well, of course, we're going to be covering that Benfica fixture last night. Tough, tough test in Portugal. And also, we're going to be going over the Championship preview with the help of two journalists whose names you probably know. Firstly, Daniel Story. Daniel, you probably follow him on Twitter, but he's penned articles for the BBC, Football 365, writes for the Premier League and much more besides. Also, he happens to be a Nottingham Forest fan, so it'll be interesting to get his view. And also Nancy Frostick as well. She's written for the iPaper and is the Sheffield Wednesday journalist for The Athletic and also she's got a soft spot for the Owls as well. So it'll be a really interesting take on what they think is going to happen this season in the Championship. And of course, there is a focus on AFC Bournemouth. So we are joined, of course, by the one and only Jeff Hayward for that. But firstly, Benfica, what happened yesterday? It was a pretty good performance in the first half, but there were a few sort of errors at times. And we went down 2-1 and uh, what kind of performance was it? To discuss it with me, uh, we've got Tom Jordan here with me. Tom, how's it going? Yeah, not bad, Sam. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. And also Neil Whedon as well. Neil, how's it going? Hi, Sam. Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. I don't know about you, Tom, but I was really worried over the last sort of week or so, because I've been thinking, you know, all the other teams are playing competitive fixtures. Like Norwich have got matches abroad lined up and we had absolutely nothing apart from this weird Betway Cup match, which is just one friendly against West Ham, but for some reason they've made it a cup. And I was thinking, hang on, who else are we playing? But then they pull this Benfica fixture out of the bag and there you're thinking, hang on, we've got a stern European test here. 
Yeah, it was interesting because I thought um, that we'd definitely only play teams in England, especially with the whole, um, you know, lockdown business. And I think there was something said that they expected us to only play teams in England. But yeah, it was a nice little nice little game. I thought they're, they're a decent side, you know, they've played in Europe for years. So knew it would be a, um, be a decent test for us anyway, which is which got ahead of obviously the big cup game against West Ham, which is, you know, that's the trophy we all want to win. So, And uh, Neil, what do you make of that? Having a friendly against West Ham that for some reason has been badged a cup and there's even going to be a trophy. It'll go to penalties, that kind of thing. What on earth is that all about? I haven't got a clue. I was still looking for the Dorchester fixture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where's that one? When are we going to buy that one? Dorchester, Hamworthy, like, you know, you think that maybe we've dropped down, maybe we'll, you know, revisit those. But apparently we're supposed to be p- playing some South Coast teams as well. But, you know, uh, goodness knows if that's going to happen. Um, and it's and it's an interesting one, isn't it, Tom? Because, it, you know, there are so many different variables with this. We're playing a team that's at the top level of European football. We've got JT in charge. We didn't know who was going to be there and who wasn't. And as it turned out, there was no Callum Wilson, no Josh King, uh, no David Brooks as well, and no Harry Arter. Now, Chris Temple on Twitter said that it looks like Harry Arter's future lies elsewhere. Uh, Brooks and Wilson were apparently injured. No Josh King. He's being linked with Spurs at the moment, so goodness knows what will happen with that so what did you think of the omissions did you just think yeah I'll take their word at face value with regards to the injuries or do you think Wilson and Brooks are maybe being kept behind for other reasons yeah it's a bit of a strange one um because I mean I I mentioned it it was uh one of my mates mentioned it to me and I thought that's a good point that they didn't Mepham traveled but they never said that he was injured well, you know, why have you not mentioned that Mepham was injured? It's like it was the, there was no point in mentioning that Mepham was injured. Do you know what I mean? Which was a bit strange because I don't yeah. think Callum even travelled. Yet they mentioned that he was injured. Um, whether they are or not, I mean, I, I made a point that I thought if Brooks genuinely is injured, then surely any of the suitors are going to be thinking, he's injured again. Am I really going to pay 20 plus million for this guy who's injured again? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, whether they were or not, you know, I wasn't, I was quite keen to see some of the other guys really, you know, some of the, yeah some of the players that you think will, will definitely be a part of the squad going forward. And, you know, whether we needed to see, you know, whether Callum and Brooksy and that stay or not, we kind of know what they're about, particularly Callum. And I think it was a good opportunity to see some of the other guys that are probably, heads are a bit more switched on, you know, what they're going to do for Bournemouth in the come, upcoming season. So, yeah, didn't wasn't sure what to make of it, really. And then the starting lineup saw Begovic, Smith, Steve Cook, Kelly, Rico, Stanislas, Lerma, Lewis Cook, Dan Juma, Dom Solanke and also Sam Surridge up front. I think out of that, there weren't really many surprises, apart from maybe the goalkeeper, because Begovic, I thought, based on the money, he's probably costing wage-wise. I, I didn't think he'd be involved. But as it turned out, he had the first half and Travis had the second. Yeah, that was um, that surprised me because, I mean, it didn't surprise me that, they, that the goalkeeper's got a half each. Mm. Um, and, you know, whether you read too much into it, the Begovic started, I'm not sure. They're both going to get 45 minutes each. The thing that surprised me was that if Begovic was surplus to requirements here, you know, whether it's the money he's on or he's just not going to be a part of it, then you would have taken a young goalkeeper and played a half with Travers. You wouldn't have bothered playing mm. Begovic, in my opinion. So that makes me wonder, is you know, is there a chance, another chance for Begovic? Has Tyndall wanted to have another look at him? Which, fair enough, he does if, you know, we don't know, you know, in his contract, whether relegation affected his wages, et cetera, et cetera. But... 
you know, I, I would be very surprised if he's just going to go now because you wouldn't have played him. You just wouldn't have bothered. Mm, you would yeah, have played, what's right. the young lad, Dennis, isn't it? You would have played him for a half. Yeah. So um, that was interesting that he travelled. I'm not going to read too much into the fact that he started because they did just get a half each. So, mm. um, but yeah, you know, see what happens with that. It was, was a bit of a surprise. But apart from that, as expected, really. And what were your thoughts on the first half, Tom? Because for me, I, I was watching it seemed a very open and expansive game, loads of space. The type of game that Bournemouth like to play, really. Um, a lot of balls into channels and it sort of ebbed and flowed. It looked like it was quite an attractive sort of match to watch. It was almost like your sort of Brighton uh, performance away where we won 5-0 and there just seemed to be acres of space on the pitch. And uh, we seemed to have the pace on the, on the flanks and through the middle, actually, to exploit them. And uh, it was... It was a really nice game to watch, although it didn't it didn't start too great, I suppose, did it? Where um, Lerma gifted a free kick on the edge of the box and, you know, they took it, albeit, you know, they blasted it wide. But then individual errors started to creep in. And I think it was Lewis Cook that gave it away, wasn't it? And then it was Adel Tarapt that... Great strike into the top right-hand corner. Could Begovic have done better there? Because a lot of people on Twitter said he should have. Um, I mean, I think it was the fact that he got a hand to it. I mean, I think if he hadn't quite got a hand to it, people would have just said, that's a great goal. Mm. I feel that'd be a little bit harsh. Um, and yeah, like you say, it started off quite lively. I thought we looked, you know, we were pressing quite high. It was quite fast tempoed, actually, for pre-season friendly. And they've obviously got a bit of quality. And I thought we set up the right way, tried to counter, like you say, cause some problems. But the individual errors, I mean, obviously it was Lewis, particularly for the first goal. That's going to happen in friendlies. You're going to, you know, the odd loose touch here and there. Um, you know, you're going to be a little bit rusty. But I thought on the whole, we look quite fit, quite ready. Um, I was pleasantly surprised with that. And like I say, they are a decent, decent side, Benfica. They know mugs. And I thought we got in a few times. And yeah, we, we look quite lively. I was quite happy with the first half display, despite coming down. But I thought both goals were, were pretty good. So was ours, to be fair. All three goals were very good, I thought. Yeah, and you know what? One of the, I mean, we've all been sort of focusing on our striking options and wondering whether we're going to keep King or Callum. And we've been thinking, is Dom Sankey going to be the one up front? And can Sam Surridge do a job? But I haven't really given a second thought to Dan Juma, weirdly, but arguably player of the match. And Neil, I mean, you saw a bit of the first half, but most of the second yeah. half. But Dan Juma, he could be promising in the championship if we keep hold of him, couldn't he? I, I yeah I I raise him really highly uh, from from what he's done uh, while he's uh, been fit enough to play for us so far. He, he looks he's looks really lively, very skillful, uh, and I think in some of the cases where he's played so far um, last season, I think he's looked almost a- ahead of other players. Mm. Um, insofar as he he's got some ideas, and I think they've been too slow to catch up with him. Mm. Uh, if you know what I mean, you know he—he's he, wait, waiting for a ball that never comes, mm. and therefore looks as though he's—he's he's out of position or or or, or not do, uh, making the right move. But I—I I think you know I think he—he's he, definitely if we keep him in the championship, surely he's—he's going to be uh, a starter up front for us. Well, that's right. And it, I mean, what a crack. I think it was on about 16 minutes and it was two players that were all sort of unsure of and really wanting to keep it. It was Lerma that uh, spread out a ball to Rico on the left side. And I thought he was going to whip it in, but he didn't. He sort of pulled it back slightly where Dan Juma was waiting. Mm-hmm. He held his run, you know, then collected the ball and he cut in on the right foot, Tom, and cracking finish into the corner, wasn't it? I thought it was a really, really great goal. Yeah, and I was chuffed for him because um, I agree with what Neil said. When we've seen him in kind of like 
you know, kind of little cameos. And I've always thought he's he's looked lively, he's looked the threat. But I think that's probably the. I mean, I don't know when he come off. It was he was one of the last players to get substituted. He he played. That's probably the longest he's played for us in one game. Um, and I was I was really pleased with him to get his goal because I think he had a chance just before that, but you know, really early actually, where he danced for a few players and just skied it. But really pleased to see him get that goal. I thought that lifted his confidence even more. It was a beautiful pass from from Lerma out to Rico, yeah. and then um, yeah, the Rico I. I thought I thought he looked good at times. I think Diego's one of them players that I kind of think, God, he's a really good player. Then five minutes later, I think, oh, what's he doing? Do you <laughs> know what I mean? There's not he's not consistent. He's still got them little errors in him. But I think going forward, sometimes I think he, I thought him and Dan Juma had a really nice link up in that first half, um, mm. and I thought that caused him the most problems. Um, I think Dan Juma is going to be similar to to Stanislas on the other side. It's going to be fitness. It's going to be fitness yeah. because Dan Juma was highly rated before we got him. I think the only reason he probably didn't go to a bigger club was because of his injury record. Then, obviously, he's come to us and got injured a lot. Stanislas is clearly going to be a top player in the championship if he stays fit. So, so I was really pleased to see both of them, but particularly Dan Juma, get a long time out there today and look quite fit and look, you know, look fresh. That was really good. I um I like to think that I know a bit about European football, but I must admit I wouldn't be able to tell you whether that that starting eleven for Benfica was strong or not um do you know if it was tom um all i saw i mean i wasn't i knew a few names mainly because i think it was tarat and vertonghen mm. both from the premier league but i saw from benfica on the twitter and stuff doing a bit of translation they virtually played like half of their best team in the first half and half of their best team in the second okay, half so. with a few uh, kind of like fringe pairs in there so i think it was a bit of both both halves to be honest uh, and then, obviously, they made it 2-1. Um, again, I think Bournemouth are probably quite guilty of overplaying it. Um, it was a really energetic game. And there were times where it almost seemed too fast and the players were just making errors. And I think it landed at the feet of Everton, who shot on the turn. Um, you know, Begovic couldn't get across. And it, it was a really decent finish low to his left. And and then, you know, I think the game started to turn uh, Bournemouth didn't have as many chances, and there seemed to be so many shots from Benfica from distance. Most of them were uh, arguably sort of over the bar, but some good expansive football from the home side. They started to dominate the midfield. I think Dom Solanke and Sam Surridge, the more it went on, they looked a little bit more exposed up front, didn't they? I mean, Dom got a spot on the ball for quite a bit, but <coughs> Sam Surridge, not so much. He didn't really seem to get a look in, and maybe that was why Tyndall took him off after 45 minutes, Tom? Yeah, I think um, the, the only thing that I was really quite excited to see them both together, uh, Dom and Sam, but you'd like to play obviously one off the other, you know, whether it's 4-4-2 or not. You don't really have them flat next to each other. <clears throat> sorry, next to each other. But I couldn't really work out which one was supposed to be dropping off and which one was supposed to be kind of, you know, playing a little bit higher up. They tended to kind of vary that and it just didn't work. Um they didn't get a great amount of service. I think, like we said, it come through the flanks more. But, um, yeah, they huffed and puffed, but nothing really went for them. And then you kind of felt like the more they got all of the ball, we might as well just put another man in midfield, which is obviously what we decided to do at half-time. Mm. And I, that didn't surprise me. I don't think it was necessarily either of the strikers' fault, really. I think it was just one of them games, and they were, they were more comfortable on the ball than us. And I think we had quite a lively start, but then little things, I thought we just... Started the legs were going a little bit, and there was a few heavy touches, and we lost our rhythm a little bit. But um, yeah, I want, want too much to overly concern me. I just think that I think they, I think it's good that they continue playing them two and for a few games and just see how they get on. But um, yeah, I think it was probably was a game against good opposition where we could have done the extra man in midfield. So I could see why I changed that. I think mm. Solanke, 
is 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 closer to a number ten than than Surridge, isn't he? I yeah, I'd agree. Solanke has has been played in that position before, uh, and we, we saw with the with one of the goals he scored, um, which isn't difficult to to remember. Um, but he's he's got great. He has got good feet, uh, and so yeah, maybe 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 it'll work. Let's hope so. I mean, you're sort of looking at our striking options, and if Callum Wilson does go, Josh King does go. I mean, Dan Juma seemed to be up front for a little bit today, uh, and you know, seemed to do all right wherever he played. Really, I thought he was very tricky on the ball. You know, looked to cut in. Um, what did you make of his second half performance, Neil? Well, I thought we we, we started okay, but then we just it just looked like any other game from the second half of last season. Uh, after after that, um, even even as far as playing out the goal kicks short and getting into trouble, mm. um, you know, get get into the uh, the Benfica penalty area, trying to overplay, and then a player just not having any anyone to pass to, nowhere to go, and losing the ball. So I thought it was a disappointing uh, second half, um, and we just. As I sent out a tweet halfway through, saying we just need a maverick. We need someone in there who can do something a bit different. I think Dan Juma could be that that player, uh, or even Stanislas, you know, when when he's on song. But we had no one to do anything anything different. And if if you were the manager of the opposition, uh, look, looking to defend against us with a two one lead, it 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 doesn't appear to be that difficult um, to to uh, to put a. a a system together to do that to stop it's, us playing. It's very strange though because I feel as though the first half performance was miles better than the second half. Yet mm. we end up losing it two one. Um, whereas in the second half, it's you know like it's a nil nil. And you know we did make changes with Travers, uh, Stacey, Billing, uh, Gosling, Kilkenny, uh, Simpson, and then towards the end you've got you know Zamura coming on and uh, Namdi as well. So. Yeah, you know, there were a lot of changes. And mm. uh, Philip Billing, um, <laughs> he, he's a person that divides fans. And I thought it, his interceptions at times in the second half were very good. I thought, yeah. um, you know, his he makes these leggy challenges and seems to intercept them. But when he's on the ball, he sometimes doesn't use it as, as well as he should. Um, yeah. Neil? Thoughts on yeah, that? well, Billing, I, I think it is frustrating to watch him because, like you say, he's very leggy, obviously very tall, and um, there are. It, it, I think there are some people who watch him who expect his legs to go like Ryan Fraser's, <laughs> uh, but he, he can't do it. He, he's, he's too big. Um, I I think he's a good player, but I don't think we've we actually know where to play him to, to get the best out of him. Um, you know, he can pass the ball. You know, it, we, we've seen that he can get up and head the ball in the opposition area. Uh, but I don't know, it's just consistency, isn't it? Um, mm. And, you know, you see him do great things for 20 minutes and then he drops out of the game. Mm. So obviously we ended up, uh, yeah, losing 2 1. And Tom, how are you feeling after it? Uh, have you got. Any sort of real emotions? Because I must admit, for me, that you know, not much has overly changed. Um, that first forty-five minutes, I must admit, has filled me with a little bit of optimism. But then you see the usual mistakes creep in, with you know Travers kicking it into touch a number of times, and sometimes guilty of overplaying it. Would sometimes we should just maybe get rid and maybe Tyndall 
made the team selections that he did and left the players that we talked about out because he knows they're on the way. Because, I mean, rumour has it that, you know, Callum Wilson will be, etc. Josh King, David Brooks. So maybe the players that he had on show today are the ones that he thinks are going to be moving forward with us in the Championship. Yeah, well, I'll take that if that's the case. I mean, Lerner started and I, you know, I would have expected him to go. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it was just, it was kind of what I expected in terms of, it's your first pre-season friendly, you're playing against a team that are good on the ball. Um, we tried to play counter-attack and I thought it worked in the first half. Once they got the lead, they we got leggy. They just yeah. kept the ball. We couldn't break them down. Like Neil said, we didn't really have any plan B. It was quite easy to, the game was always going to end 2-1. Um but you know that that was how it was going to be for me. We like I say, we started quite well, and we were always going to going to tire a little bit. It was our first game back. Yeah, there wasn't anything that really surprised me too much. Um, I think what's clear to see is we're going to be playing out from the back again. That hasn't changed at all. Um, and as whether you agree with it or disagree with it, you know, if a few things go wrong, well, we're trying to play the way that obviously the coaches are telling us to play. You know, the lads will say, well. I would clear it, but I'm told to play this way. They've just got to get better at doing that. If that's what the coach is telling them to do, um, they're not going to start lumping it because then they won't be in the team. Um, they just got to get better at doing it. And if they're not good enough, then they're going to have to be replaced. But um, yeah, I thought on the whole, it was kind of as I expected. <coughs> I don't, I mean, I don't know what you think, but I genuinely, if Eddie Howe was still the manager, would it have been any different? I couldn't see any difference in the way we played. There wasn't anything today that made me think, oh, Jason's changing that not at all. Whether whether that will come with a few more games, I don't know. But there was nothing new, really, which is not neither here nor there. I don't think that's brilliant or or really poor either. Um, but yeah, it was okay. I think the fr- only frustrating players was um, Lewis Cook in the first half. Um, just just had one of them halves. So uh, as soon as he gave the first goal away, which was just him losing the ball, um, then he just kept losing it. Um, yeah. And then I think. Like we were saying, then then you bring Billing on in his place, and I thought oh, they're two players that are clearly got quality, but I don't know what they really do in terms. Of, I've said this to you before, Sam. Yeah, You've got, you everyone knows what Jefferson Lerma does, you know, in his defensive role. Goslin runs around and he does come in with a lot of goals as well. Mm. Billing and, and Lewis Cook, they're not defensive players. They're not really attacking players. They don't score any goals. They don't really assist too much. Um, they give the ball away now. I don't, you know, I I, I can clearly. Uh, agree with a lot of fans that they've got a lot of ability there. There's no mm. question, but they've got to be giving more the pair of them because for me, if we had to play tomorrow our first game, I'd play Gosling and Lerma personally. Would you rather have someone who maybe didn't come into the game as as much as Lewis Cook does, but then did something exceptional? Yeah, at some point during the game. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think I think to be fair to Lewis, you know, he's he's brave, so he wants to get on the ball all the time. Um, so you're always gonna, you know, it's always gonna, you're always gonna lose the ball now and again. It wasn't his fault that when he lost no, it, they no, put no. it in the top corner. But, um, but yeah, just for me, he's got a, like you say, he's got to grab the game a little bit more and and just have more of an impact in terms of numbers, in terms of assists, in terms of creating chances, scoring goals. I can't remember yeah. the last time Lewis Cook had a shot. It, he's feels, not, like, it feels like confidence, doesn't it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and like you say, he did have a horrible injury as well, and he, yeah. we, he was definitely better before that injury. I'm not questioning that at all. And like I say, yeah. I'm not saying we should get. Billing and Lewis Cook out. I'm just saying, I think it's more frustration because we know how good they are, because mm. we know that technically they're better than Dan Goslin. But Dan Goslin, I know what I'm going to get from him. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And that's that's that thing where Dan Goslin is just your pro and that experience, and he'll just give you 100% and you know what you're going to get. But for the ability that Billing and Lewis Cook have, I just feel they should be given a little bit more, but we'll see. 
There were a, a few players I thought, uh, you know, bright flashes. I thought, you know, Stanislas had a few moments in that first half, but, you know, one of the standout performers, I think, obviously we've mentioned Dan Juma, but Lloyd Kelly at the back looked so assured, didn't he? And, you know, that fee that we paid Bristol City, you know, there's no way that we won't get less for him. Should we sell him? We've made a tidy profit on him. However, if we can keep him in the championship, that would be absolutely fantastic. And, just looks really assured on the ball, very calm, very composed, and um, could be an integral cog this season, couldn't he, Tom? Because I thought, astounding. Yeah, no, he's, I mean, he just looks class act, doesn't he? I mean, when we've done a few of these, uh, we've done the podcast about the kind of player ratings and stuff, and I felt like, oh, I can't give him that high because he's barely played, but he was that, he's been that good hmm. that you just can't help but, you know, think, God, this, we've got one out of a player here. And I think, um, obviously, Mappen didn't play tonight, but with him being available as well, They've also you've got options there to kind of change system in terms of like a three in the back because Lloyd Kelly's also natural as playing as a fullback as well as a centre back um, and I just feel like that's going to be another little option to us. We change that in the second half because he's so comfortable on the ball. You wouldn't mind him kind of playing left centre and then kind of going out to a fullback role and getting on the ball a little bit more. Um, but yeah, he's, he's got the physique as well. He's kind of playing like I expected Mings to be when he come in. If you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Very um, but he's, I feel, a lot more assured with Lloyd Kelly. He doesn't look as, you know, Mings is, Mings is a good player, but um, Lloyd Kelly looks looks more composed. I feel, I don't feel like there's going to be as much clumsiness with Lloyd Kelly. And I, I just, I'm really looking forward to seeing him. But um, yeah, I don't want to think too far ahead, but if he plays for the full championship season and we don't go up, we ain't keeping him for much longer because yeah. he's a talent. He's English, young English as well. He's a hell of a talent. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how the season unfolds. And Neil, it was Benfica and not Brentford, wasn't it? So there are some positives to come out of that, even though we're still kind of thinking, oh, you know, it wasn't brilliant, but it wasn't not good. Um, well, are we, are we in talent? I don't think we're desperate for a win. Can we do with a, maybe not Dorchester, but you know, a, a team, a team where we can actually get, you know, just relax a bit and 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 play the way that we know that our players can play and get a bit of confidence. Yeah. Like West, Ham, like West Ham, for example. Yeah, and you know what? We might even lift some silver as well. But yeah, I don't, you know, there's there's not much that we can, uh, you know, we could read into every single like individual, uh, you know, performance. But they have had a bit of time off, and uh, it was sort of unique in many circumstances. You know, playing in Portugal and with JT in charge as well. We don't quite know what input Graham James has had at this point as well, but I'm sure that he's going to have sort of more input as time goes on. So. I don't know. It's um, it's going to be a very absorbing start to the season, and there's more friendlies to come that are going to be announced in the next few days. But there we are. Yeah, Bournemouth uh, were beaten two one at Benfica. Not a bad scoreline. Tom, thank you very much for uh, popping on. Cheers, sir. Nice one. And Neil, thanks for your input as well. Thanks, guys. Good to talk to you. So there we go. It was always going to be a tough test against Benfica, wasn't it? And more friendlies are on the way. They said three South Coast clubs. Now, we've got West Ham. Um, Are there any others going to be announced? I'm sure news will emanate in the next few days. And it's going to be a busy week in terms of incomings and outcomings as well. 
Last time we spoke on the pod, uh, we briefly touched on the fact that Stephen Purchase stepped up to number two. And of course, the introduction of Graham Jones. So it's going to be interesting how everyone combines and which players we can keep hold of. Of course, on Back of the Net, we'll try to keep you abreast of what's going on. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and also do follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash AFCB podcast. And we're sure to have more opinion in the next few days. Now, on the YouTube channel, one of the videos that we were really proud to put on was with Nancy Frostick and Daniel Storey. Two journalists with a lot of championship pedigree, of course. And Bournemouth entering the championship again for the first time in five years. So myself and Jeff Hayward chatted to them about the forthcoming season. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. And uh, as well as Daniel, we are delighted to also uh, be joined by Nancy Frostick as well. And I gather, Nancy, you have somewhat of a soft spot for the owls as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you can't help but kind of get emotionally invested when you watch them every week (laughs) and uh, go on the emotional journey, which it always is watching Wednesday. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So in order to talk more about what lies ahead then, what we can do is bring in Jeff Hayward. Jeff, how are you doing? Very good, Sam. Thank you. Are you, uh, are you ready for the new season yet? Do you know, uh, full of anticipation because it feels like it's a bit of a mystery. And I think that's what this show's going to be really good to get some insights from uh, pundits and broadcasters who know what it's all about. And Daniel Forrest, I mean, a club decorated all over Europe, um, like Sheffield Wednesday, you're seemingly another team truly embedded in the championship. Um, lots we can talk about, I'm sure. But I must start by asking, how has Forrest overcome the playoffs? Well, I, I mean, that's a million dollar question. And I'm not sure Not sure they have. If, if ever Forrest needed a three month break rather than a six week break, it was, it was this season because, um, I mean, Bournemouth fans, I'm sure, will know it became a bit of a national joke that that Forrest needed to, well, effectively ended to needing up not to lose four one at home to to Stoke on the final yeah. day, and did exactly that, lost four one at home to Stoke on the final day, um, and we've been here before, you know, we've played, we've never got to a playoff final. Uh, if we're going to do it, it's going to be automatic promotion. I can guarantee that because, yeah, we seem addicted to this farce at the end of the season of, of just collapsing several metres before the finishing line. Yeah, it was an absolutely crazy watch, really, seeing your game on Sky Sports and then seeing the scores come in from Swansea as well. Couldn't believe it. And it just sums up what the championship is all about. But, you know, judging by that final day, Daniel, and, you know, also 20 years in the championship, it's obviously a difficult league uh, to get out of. Um, So what was it like to see a little club from Dean Court manage it in two years? (laughs) I think what it the, the only golden rule of the, of the championship is that it's a complete meritocracy and you get out what you put in. And if if you're a club that has got a kind of lingering, hardwired arrogance or a chip on its shoulder that it doesn't deserve to be there, I think you get found out pretty quickly. Um, and Forest have done that over the last decade. They, they've been a club basically built on sand and, and false promises and and past glory and none of those are particularly helpful when when getting promoted you look at clubs that that have done it well you know Sheffield United is one Bournemouth is another Leicester they've had a plan and they've stuck to it whether it's a you know a flagship manager whether it's a recruitment model um, whether it's a 
you know, a rich owner, they've done things pretty sensibly. And Forest have very rarely done anything sensibly. You know, we've had more managers than most clubs have had new signings. So, yeah, I, I, I honestly believe under the new regime that um, things have changed off the pitch. And if not on it at the end of last season, we at least saw some bright sparks because we weren't really expecting to get in the playoffs anyway last season. But this is the acid test because we did collapse again and it's, it's how we respond to that. And Nancy, I think I speak for all Bournemouth fans saying that you will always be part of Bournemouth folklore after what you did to Watford in the last minute five years ago. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you. Um, but but um, from our perspective, I mean, the Premier League wasn't that great. Um, I mean, many Bournemouth fans look at the Championship as being a really exciting league. Uh, we look at it as as almost we're going to be embracing our relegation to a division which many of us regarded as a fun place to be, but that's possibly because we had two years of success in it, I guess. What do you feel about it as a division for Wednesday fans? Because like uh, like Daniel, as Forest fans, you've been in there a long time now. Um, how do you feel about the division? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one. I was literally, um, just before I came on, watching, um, it was like a Sky Sports clip and they basically clipped together the last day of the season where obviously you had all those teams um, scrapping to stay up and then obviously Forest and Swansea and all of that um, playing out and Brentford and West Brom dropping in and out of the top, um, out of the second and third. So um, from that point of view, like you can't help but love it just, just as a football fan. I mean... You know, it's great if your team's not involved. So, like the last day of the season, from from my point of view, obviously Wednesday were um, needing points because we didn't know what was happening with the EFL thing. But also, um, you know, it it wasn't a massive game against Middlesbrough. Like probably beating uh, Neil Warnock was like the biggest line to have come out of that. Um, so, and he, and they didn't. But you know, <laughs> um, that was like probably the main drive there. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a fantastic league. Like honestly, I think um, I think it's easier to have fond memories and think of it if your team has obviously blitzed blitzed through the league and, and gone straight up. And there's definitely kind of a lingering um, I don't know pain <laughs> for teams like Forest and Wednesday and probably Leeds that have been there for a while. And it's especially if you've come close and and kind of got to playoff finals or done that sort of crumbling away, which is. I feel like for those sorts of clubs that have been knocking around in the championship for a couple of years, you almost need then like two to three years just to get over that sort of getting so close unless you've got a Bielsa or, you know, someone really iconic with great philosophy and everything just to keep the momentum going because it really is a sucker punch for, you know, the, these bigger clubs, if you want to think of them that way, uh, traditionally. So, but yeah, I think it's fantastic league. I love it. Uh, and Nancy, what what do you think of the ingredients that make it such a good league? Because for me, if I'm going to answer that question myself, it's the variety of teams that you can play. I mean, this season there's Wickham with a you know nine thousand seater stadium, or whatever, and then you can go to Hillsborough where it's you know near forty thousand. It's just a variety of teams, and the fact it comes thick and fast. What for you makes it so exciting? Yeah, I think it's that actually. Like, um, so I mean like as a reporter I've not been necessarily going to games for that long but like the championship um and reporting on a championship club has taken me to Luton which I think is the most fantastic ground because you know it's built into basically into a row of houses mm. in yeah. you know I love uh, that stadium <laughs> unbelievable like and not to say that you don't get that in the Premier League but obviously 
I think just getting that range of that sort of ground, which is a bit older, you know, like really well loved and has been there for, for ages through to even just going somewhere like Cardiff, which is a bit more of a generic stadium. But again, it's kind of, you see all sides of it where some of the clubs obviously haven't had like the massive Premier League money to just think, oh, we'll build a brand new stadium and, you know, do something that's not the same as other clubs because I know a lot of thought goes into stadium design, but it's kind of, I don't know, I love that side of it and really getting into the into the areas and the communities that are like round, round the grounds as well. Before I hand over to Jeff again, I, I just want to say about Luton. I mean, that's one that I really hope fans are allowed back in because it, I've said it on a podcast before, it's the strangest experience. You go down a road of terraced houses and all of a sudden there are these away gates and then you walk through someone's back garden in order to get into the back of the stand and when you see it is this row of greenhouses or whatever it is or beach huts on the left hand side it's such an eclectic ground and I just uh, I really hope that fans are allowed back in by the time that uh yeah we can go there but anyway Jeff yeah I was going to say it feels like the championship is more connected to the realities of football than some of the Premier League experience uh, might be, but uh, what, what do you think, Daniel? What makes it special, but also what makes it so difficult to get out of? Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree that the, the special. What makes it special is is that absolute variety, and and also, uh, you know, I know you mentioned it briefly, but the relentlessness of the schedule, especially this season, the kind of the fact that managers know for good and bad that if they win on Saturday, they've got another game on Tuesday, and if they lose, they've got a chance to put it right. That's great. I also think it's a great league for young players because even more so this season, clubs will have to rely on deeper squads and you do get those, you know, I know Jude Bellingham was the story of last season, but you look at some of the players in championship clubs like Louis Sibley at Derby and there is a chance for 17-year-old, 16, 17-year-old kids to make their name. But we, we should also say that it's a, a division that's basically founded on financial desperation because, you know, I read a, a, a report the other day that said, you know, Reading detailed that Reading spend basically 260% of their, their revenue on wages. So there are clubs, and mine included, Forest included, that, that go above and beyond because of that sniff of the Premier League. Um, and it's that desperation, I think, which creates those kind of magic end-of-season stories where everyone's clambering or, or, in our case, collapsing for the line. So, I mean, so what do you think has been the missing piece for Nottingham Forest in their ambitions to get back into the Premier League over the last sort of 20 years? What, you know, what have you not had that other teams have? I mean, firstly, at the moment with, with Sabu Lamucci, the end of the withstanding, this is probably the first time in maybe, maybe 20 years that Forest have got a manager that I'm more scared of, of losing than as sacking. Um, we have sacked so many managers. We, we Managers barely have a year in the job and I hope that that's changed. Um, but we also have a really good academy and yet we, we spend, you know, our, our turnover of players is astonishing. We've, I think, signed something like 40 players in the last two and a bit years. Um, and there's just been this, this kind of revolving door sense that nothing's ever really going to stick while there's this constant turn, turn and churn of players. So that's something we've got to get right. Um, use the academy more. We'll probably sell Matty Cash, our right back for... 10 or 15 million pounds this summer if Fulham will pay it, which is, that's a good sign, the fact that we're doing that. Um, we shouldn't, for too long, we've seen the idea of selling players as a weakness, not a strength. You know, the fact that we can do that and then reinvest, that's what we should be doing, not just throwing more money at the problem. But 
Um, yeah, I can't say with any honesty that we've definitely got over that, but I hope we have. And what do you think uh, is the secret, Nancy, to to the failure of clubs like Derby, Forest, Sheffield Wednesday? I mean, some really big clubs still languishing in the championship. Is it the desperation, the weight of expectation? What is it? I mean, I think probably, um, you know, especially talking about Wednesday and Leeds, you, they've not been that financially stable. You know, they've both dropped down into League One and Wednesday were on the brink for a while, you know, looking like um, administration and all sorts. Um, you know, not not too long ago since they've been relegated and obviously Leeds had all those problems as well. So obviously we think of them as big clubs because of the fan bases, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, they've had all that backing um, that maybe they have now got with newer owners. Um, but yeah, I think, so that takes time. When they got relegated, you know, both, both Leeds and Wednesday have been in League One and come back up again. And I think, especially for Wednesday, they came so close. It was only, uh, you know, three four years ago that they were in the playoffs, and mm. and it looks like they had the the recipe there for success. And you know, had Carlos Carvajal, and he was great. And you know, all the players were looks to be moving in the right direction. But then again, it's a similar problem to what Daniel was just saying about Forest, where, um, you know, the, the owners invested a lot of money in the playing squad, which then has had its problems with um, FFP and and all of that, which is why they are where they are now on minus twelve. Um, but also just selling players at the right time or even selling them at all instead of just letting the clock run down on the contract and then, you know, letting them leave for nothing where you'd think even a million, half a million, you know, it, it does all count in the championship when you're basically having to play by the rules of FFP rather than really what you want to do with, with the club. Um, you know, that dictates basically how the owners run the football club rather than what they can always physically put in for these bigger clubs um, is, is a different story at the other end. You know, Barnsley, Rotherham, clubs like that are having to operate on a more sustainable basis because, you know, their owners haven't necessarily got billions or whatever to put in or, or that's the approach their owners want to take. Whereas, um, you know, clubs like Wednesday or, or Forest where there's that bit more money there, they're having to basically run with DFL's rules rather than what they'd want to do as you would be able to do in the Premier League you know it must have been strange to see smaller clubs over the last sort of five or so years like Watford Bournemouth Brighton Burnley Huddersfield you know all up in the top flight now I know that Twitter and fans on Twitter is not a gauge of anything but with some clubs it comes for instance Leeds it comes across in particular that some fans think they've got a God-given right to be in the top flight. Um, is that the case with any Sheffield Wednesday fans at all? Or is there a bit more humility up there? Um, I think, especially with recent years, like with where Wednesday have been and the things that have happened, I think that's less probably prevalent. And, um, you know, I mean, we don't need to talk about Sheffield United, but obviously that's happened um you know <laughs> in the last couple of years and you know it's kind of hard to be across the city from that and you know everyone's quite rightly praising Chris Wilde and everything that's going on there so it's kind of you can't be ignorant of the fact that the clubs that are up there are there because they've either played good football they've had a little bit of luck which I think is a massive thing in the championship especially when you get down to the playoffs you know um and and it's just yeah there's a lot, a lot of things there which I think maybe means that most Wednesday fans probably aren't 
or haven't got that sense of entitlement that should be in the top flight because it has been so long now I think you know um without sounding really harsh like if if it was meant to be they'd be there already or have been there um so yeah I, that's probably my view on the Wednesday Wednesday situation but obviously I can't speak to to Leeds and, and a few of the other sort of big clubs but yeah yeah, just on that, Daniel, who do you reckon are the most arrogant fan base in the championship that we need to look out for? I'm not, I'm not going to go near that question. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I agree, and I think there's there's certainly an element of, of Forest support that thinks, you know, if you ask 50 random Premier League fans, probably of a certain age, it should be said, for their 20 ideal 20 Premier League teams, I think Forest would probably be in there, and I think Sheffield Wednesday would probably be in there as well. So I think that creates this idea that they're seen as a big club creates a certain pressure. And I think some fans are kind of happy to live up to that. Um, And but but now I think there are there are forest supporters who most forest supporters realise that those glory years, if they mean anything, um, you know, they only mean they are only memories now they are. They are so far away. You know, I wasn't born when they won either trophy. And it means nothing now. And if anything, it, it, it's held us back for too long rather than helped us. So this this notion of being a big club, I remember when Forrest went down to League One and it sounds a very arrogant thing to say, but maybe it was the same for Wednesday, but we felt like everyone's cup final. You know, we really did. And I think there's probably a sense of that in the championship that if you consider yourself to be one of the big clubs, you're kind of just going for pride before a fall there because it's so relentless that you will lose games to teams that at the start of the season you think you should beat. That's the, that's the very nature of the league. I must say, I am old enough to remember that Forest side. And <laughs> uh, uh, it was it was actually a great a great team to watch. Um, the city ground used to be uh, a terribly muddy pitch to play football on as well. I remember the, some vintage games where the balls just seemed to get stuck in the mud and Bertles used to stand on the six-yard box, wait for it to stick in the mud and stick it in. And that was that was the game plan, it seemed to me, half the matches. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I think Forrest are a great club. Uh, but one other uh, area that I think is interesting about the Championship is that you normally, you see those three clubs go up from the Championship to the Premier League and they're always the three who are fancy to go straight back down because there's this perceived quality gap. Do you think that's still a thing, Daniel? Uh, I... I don't know about a quality gap. There's certainly the financial gap. And I think what we have seen in the last few years is clubs like, I mean, Burnley did it. And I think Norwich have tried to do it, which is basically taking the money and run and say, well, this actually, this will help us for the next five years to to push sustainably for the Premier League rather than um, just go up, spend loads of money and then get relegated like maybe Fulham did a couple of years ago. Um, I don't think there's a standout candidate in the championship this season, I have to say. Um, that probably is is more of an insult than a compliment. Um, Brentford were were brilliant and were innovative and felt fresh last year. And if they can replicate that, then I think they will they probably will be the best team in the league. Um, but you can't underestimate the power of of a club like Norwich, who spent two million pounds in the Premier League on new players, come down and support, I think. Oh, they've got eight new players and three more on loan already. So they're kind of looking at it as a, as a three-season project, go up, go down, go up better. Um, but yeah, the, the quality of football isn't brilliant, I don't think, at times. I have to say that. It sounds like sacrilege, but I don't think the football is good at times. But the excitement's always there and the tension's always there, which kind of eclipses any need for quality. And, and the quality is there in flashes enough that 
it kind of takes you off guard. It surprises you. You know, when a player like Ezek, QPR, runs a midfield at a young age and scores a brilliant yeah. goal, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, this is a really good football league. But it, it's got everything. I think that's how I sort of warp the insult into a compliment. Yeah. I mean, Nancy, what's your view on it? I mean, do you think the footballing gap is, is closing between the Premier League and, and the Championship? Because you could argue that more newly promoted teams seem to be managing to stay up these days. So maybe you could say there's kind of less of a footballing gap or do you not, or do you not think it's the case? Um, I think obviously there is always that trope of them being, you know, favoured for uh, relegation. I think the gap's probably bigger from league one to the championship, to be honest. Um, And, you know, just because that's a financial thing, really, you know, you don't see, or it's been a while since we've seen like, um, probably like Bournemouth or Norwich and Southampton when they went from League One almost straight through. And um, it's kind of, I think from the Championship to the Premier League, um, again, I'd agree with Daniel, this doesn't seem to be like, I wouldn't think of a runaway uh, favourite at the moment for this season, apart from those with parachute payments that have maybe got a bit more to throw around to get, you know, that 15 goal a season striker that every Championship team seems to be chasing. Um desperately and you know there just aren't enough of them out there pretty much for the right price anyway but um I don't know I think I think the football quality is at times in the championship a a little bit lacking to be honest I think you can see the um difference in pace maybe is where like when when I've watched say Leeds and Brentford this season the intensity is there from what I think of when I watch a Premier League game and kind of the relentlessness of it which obviously to sustain over a championship season is crazy. So the fact that they're able to do that makes me think that they'd be more ready for that transition to the Premier League, um, where I think it's a bit more forgiving in terms of the schedule. But um, yeah, I think there are a lot of, I find, and this could just speak to the quality of Wednesday's season last year, but there are quite a lot of sometimes nothing games in the championship, like a nil-nil, like midweek and I kind of think oh god I've got to write about something here and it's you know (laughs) that's just part of my job that's the problem but you know it's kind of um there's not always like a massive talking point but then when those games are there which is like more than three quarters of the time but it's just then it's crazy it's it's the complete other end of the spectrum where it's like oh my god I've got reams and reams of things I could talk about like tension you know you can barely sometimes I can barely peel myself away from the game to actually concentrate on writing on something because the atmosphere will, will, will be crazy and so it's I don't know it's very peaks and troughs I think the tra- the championship um as a fan and a reporter so yeah I think that, that's absolutely right and the key is kind of managing those the best managers seem to be able to kind of manage those troughs because like I said before you will lose games in the championship that you think you shouldn't you shouldn't lose you know you will lose and no disrespect but a huge amount of disrespect, obviously, because I'm saying it. You will lose at Rotherham, you will lose at Newton, you will lose at Wickham, and and you'll feel like you shouldn't. But if you let that haunt you for even ten days, then another three games have gone by. So it's those managers that are able to kind of take those players out of that firing line again. And like clearly, deep squads can help with that. But it's more about the psychology, I think. And you look at those managers who have done really well in the championship and I include Eddie Howe in this when they went up it's those managers who are kind of can almost kind of bottle up all the pressure and take it on themselves and take it off the players 
Um, that's what Bielsa did so well. You know, he took the spotlight away from those players. It wasn't just about them being intense. It was the fact that they felt that they could play the football they wanted to play, pressure-free, even in high-pressure scenarios. So, um, yeah, and it's easier said than done as well. Otherwise, yeah. every man needs to be doing it. Um, we're not going to have fans in the stadiums at least till October at the earliest. So, um, Daniel, do you, are you aware of what the clubs are doing in terms of showing games on their own websites? I think for us, we've got uh, uh, we're using our own service to do it. But what's happening at Forest and the other clubs? Are you aware of it? Yeah, I mean, we, we've gone down the I follow route, um, which is. Um, by no means a perfect service. I'm, I'm laughing as I say that because I'm underselling that phrase. But um, yeah, effectively, season ticket holders will get to watch games for free with a login um, on the club site or iFollow sites. And then I think every other supporter can play £10 per home game. Um, now, I guess it, the, the clubs can't show away games because obviously that's, the, that's the, effectively the property of the home club. So I don't. I actually don't know if there's a way that I assume fans of any club can pay ten pounds to watch any game. Um, but yeah, that's going to be the norm for for supporters uh, now. And I suspect for the foreseeable, uh, you know, even when they come back in October, I suspect we're looking at thirty percent capacity, which is no away fans and season ticket holders, perhaps even on a kind of rotation basis. And it's all all very deeply depressing, albeit for very good reason. Um, I long for the day when uh, you can have a full house. Um, but I think we're a fair way off that, it's fair to say. Mm. What's it been like for you, Nancy, being at stadiums that are empty? Um, it must be a, a strange old experience, isn't it? Yeah, it's. Um, I think I've found like people that I've spoken to, fellow journalists and stuff, have been in one of two camps. It's kind of like either people feel really obviously grateful and honoured to be one of the few people in the ground or a few other people that I've spoken to have been like it's good to be there but it's absolutely soulless and it just doesn't feel like football as we know it which um, I can sort of understand really because um, I mean it's great because you get those insights of kind of hearing managers shouting at players and all the interactions that maybe we'd never normally pick up because it's lost in the crowd noise but um, it does feel a bit like you know if you ever go to an under 23s game and it's it happens to be in uh, Hillsborough or something and you kind of sat there watching it and you find yourself getting a bit sort of distracted or, you know, the, just the the background swell of the crowd can be so valuable just to know when to look up from your laptop or whatever as a reporter. It's, um, it is a bit strange. Yeah. I, I'll definitely be looking forward to when people are back. And um, again, especially with, with I follow for the ones that either we can't get to or, I hadn't been able to get to when it was the restart um yeah I follow is a bit of a experience sometimes but uh it'll be interesting with Sky actually I think now that Leeds have gone they had so many Leeds games were on Sky so <laughs> it might you might start to see you know that spread a bit more mm. evenly among other clubs and Bournemouth might be one of them to be fair Oh, interesting. Okay, so we'll just wrap up by just briefly looking forward to this season, and we'll do some quick fire questions. And uh, I'll come to you uh, first, Dan. And um, who do you think is going to be in the mix for promotion this season? Uh, I mean, going against my head, I'd pick Brentford and Norwich top two. I think, um, and then uh, any one of—I mean, literally any four of about twelve clubs could 
could make the playoffs. Um, I think the most interesting club in the league is is Coventry, who have obviously come up, um, but are the only promoted club not to feature in, you know, in the four or five favourites to get relegated. And their recruitment model is great. They buy really good young players. Mark Robbins doing a sensational job, given the owners. So I think they're the most interesting club, but I don't think they'll be anywhere near promotion. So yeah, Norwich and Brentford are my two, I think. Interesting. Nancy, who are you fancying for this season? Uh, yeah, I'd definitely go Brentford. Um, I think I'd probably throw Swansea into the mix just because, um, I don't know, I feel like they were sort of getting there with something maybe, but I know that they can be a bit, they were a bit hit and miss last season. Um, then, oh God, yeah, the rest of the, the playoffs is always a bit of a <laughs> mixed bag. Uh, Norwich is probably a good shout actually, for, just for who they've they've signed. Um I should say Bournemouth, really, shouldn't I? That's a bit... Um, maybe Bournemouth will adapt better or be more attuned to kind of that intensity or, or what's required from the Championship. Mm. Um, I won't, you know, question Watford's cojones because we've been there before, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like and stuff. But, no, I think um, it, it'll be interesting. Again, yeah, the, the managerial changes and stuff, I think, probably do count for a lot where Norwich have obviously still got uh, Daniel Farker and uh, and he did such a good job before. So, uh, yeah. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. Nancy, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us and, uh, you know, best of luck this season. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great to chat to you guys. And also, Daniel, um, we really appreciate your input and uh, we just hope for you, at least, it's less of a last gasp season for Forest. <laughs> Yeah, I need to go and check when, whether Forrest are playing Bournemouth really late on in the season. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah, thank you so much. And Jeff, uh, as ever, thank you so much for being on. No, thanks. It's been it's been great and great to hear different perspectives as well. And uh, maybe maybe we should do a, a mid-season catch-up the same same uh, group, see where we're all at. I'm Jack Stacey, and you're listening to Back of the Net. So there you go. Uh, excellent to be able to chat to that pair. And as Jeff said, hopefully we'll uh, we'll be able to go over our midterm report and uh, see how all our respective clubs are doing. Sheffield Wednesday, of course, they've got a, a right old task on their hands. But Forrest, I mean, you could say the perennial bottlers, but so close last season. Can they make the playoffs this time? Can they do it automatically? Who knows? Leeds, one of the um, old school Premier League sides, managed to get back last season. Can Forrest do the same? But we're our focus, of course, is on AFC Bournemouth and we're wondering whether we can do it. Time will tell. Okay, cheers for listening to this podcast. Uh, Really appreciate you still tuning in until the very end. Just to give you a heads up that, yeah, we're going to be taking uh, another break of a week, so there will be no pod next week. But we will be back the following Monday covering the Blackburn Rovers match. Now, if you want more content from us, YouTube is the place to be because nearly every other day we're putting videos up there. And if you want to get some raw fans' reaction after that Blackburn match, well, we're doing a free-for-all as we always do. And, um, you know, hopefully we're going to be getting back into the stadiums and I can be chatting to people in person. I prefer having one person at a time. But on the free-for-alls, 
It's a bit of a madhouse, but we get a mixture of opinion and we're all hoping that Bournemouth start the season strongly. Are signs good? Well, we'll find out, of course, as we play more friendlies in the next few days. But until then, thank you very much for listening. This has been Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.